Okay, we're going to let the children be dismissed for junior church. And as they go, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, chapter 3. We're going to spend our time this morning looking at the first six verses of Jonah, chapter 3. Book of Jonah, chapter 3. Between the book of Obadiah and Micah, okay? Let's begin reading together in verse 1. And uh, most of you remember what happened at the end of chapter 2. Jonah is, after being incarcerated, and the great fish is redeployed on the beach by an act of God, whereby he saves the life of his prophet. And then sends him back on mission. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. This is a story of profound impact. This is the story of something enormous and large happening through a willing individual. This morning I want to ask you this question. What is it that makes such great impact possible? What is it that allows and causes the love of God to go into a world like ours and to make an enormous difference? That's the theme of this whole book. Love of God for sailors, love of God for Jonah, love of God for Nineveh. How does the love of God, the mission of God, get done? How does it happen? Well, at the beginning of this passage, it tells us that God is telling Jonah, go to that great city of Nineveh. It's the third time the word great is used in terms of a larger category. In the first chapter, there's a great storm. Second chapter, there's a great fish. In the third chapter, there's a great city. The storm is a symbol of Jonah taking the wrath of God and bringing deliverance for the people on the boat. In chapter 2, the great fish is an analogy of salvation. The fish comes to rescue Jonah in the midst of his rebellion. Puts him back up on the shore alive when he should be dead. This chapter is about a great city that desperately needs to hear the good news of the gospel. But the messenger has demonstrated great reluctance. And in this story, we're going to find that God changes him. What are some simple facts about this great city? One is that it was an impressive city. Verse 3 of this chapter says it would take three days to traverse the city. The idea is to walk through all the streets and to proclaim the message of repentance to all of the people there. It would take three days, averaging approximately 20 miles of walking Per day, it was a city that was great in its military, economic, and cultural might. It had it all. The largest city in the ancient world. It was an imposing 
fortress. When you walked up to the city of Nineveh, it was meant to make a statement to you about the grandeur and about the power of this incredible symbolic city. A city that one writer said was not built to be admired, but built to be feared. To say this is the unconquerable citadel, if you will. This is the place where all are safe. But it was also a city that had a great reputation. It was known for relentless violence and cruelty. If you look down to verse 8, the king calls his own people to repent of their violence and of their cruelty in their chronicles. Asher, king Ashurbanipal II said this. And this was just, they would record their exploits. Violent. But they would record them for antiquity to make a statement about how imposing and phenomenal this city was. He said this. He said, I caused great slaughter. I destroyed. I demolished. I burned. I took warriors prisoner and impaled them on stakes. And if you read through some of the history, you find literally flayed people alive. Hung their skins on the walls of the city. Why? To show how impregnable this fortress was. Folks, cut Jonah a little bit of slack. Don't excuse his obedience, but cut him a little slack. Okay, it's easy to look at him and be critical. What we really should be doing is looking at Jonah and seeing ourselves. God has a world that he's called us to reach. It's going to require a great impact for us to change and to transform the world that God has called us to live in. He's called Jonah to go to this great city and to do the impossible. A city that couldn't even be surrounded with an army. It was that large. And Jonah goes in with an eight-word message. Yet 40 days and this city will be overthrown. And they're thinking, really? I mean, it's perceived as so innocuous and weak that the king doesn't even put up any, any, any defense against him. There's no, there's no sense of threat against Nineveh. It's laughable what's happening. However, this is an amazing story of how God defeats Nineveh. You know how he does it? He doesn't assemble a large army. He deploys an army of one to make a difference. One man that he has to convince to go. God changes a person. And then God uses him to change his city. And folks, this morning, what pressing, worthy burden are you living with? What burden is so pressing? What, what weight has God allowed to rest upon your shoulders for the world around you that is literally transforming and altering and changing you? What desire, what vision do you have? What vision do we as a church have? To see God reach into our community. It's fascinating when I read through the story. Because to see God choosing Jonah. Watching him in failure. Deploying and redeploying him. And I look at the life of Jesus with his disciples. You know what I see? I see the same pattern. God desires to change the world. He desires to change people first. And then use them to change the world. You and I. We're built by God. We're changed by God through the gospel of grace to make a difference in our world. The sad thing is that most of us settle into very basic and mundane concerns, don't we? 
We're thinking about the next rent payment, the next mortgage payment, the next car payment, the next acquisition, the next accomplishment that will have very little impact for eternity. Now, what I want to say to you this morning is this. God wants to use us to have a great impact. He wants to use us to make a difference. This is a story of God changing a man and using that man to change his world. So this morning I want to ask you, would you receive the challenge to live for something larger? I want to make some observations from this passage of Scripture that will help us to see how God brings about change. How He transforms the city of Nineveh. And the first thought that emerges in verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Okay, if I'm going to be an agent of change, here's what I need to realize. There are going to be times when I hear the call of God and I fail to fulfill it. Or I get started fulfilling it and then I get weak and I stop fulfilling it. And what am I going to need? I'm going to need God's persistent grace. His grace that pursues me when I nobody wants me to do it and I'm not doing it. I'm going to need to remember that he is a God of persistent grace. Who is Jonah in this story? Jonah is the prophet of God, verse 1, chapter 1, who is called to go to Nineveh. He is the prophet of God who refuses the will of God, heads for a place called Tarshish. He is a rebel at the end of chapter 2 who has been restored by God's grace from near death. God has rescued him. And now in verse 1, what is God doing? God is redeploying a proven failure for a critical task. Does that make sense to you? Let me give you this analogy. If your team's in the Super Bowl, and with five seconds left, they're on the two-yard line, they've got a running back who has already had two fumbles in the game. Okay? Would the coach... Put the ball in the hands of that man. And I have two answers to that. One is probably not, unless it's the Philadelphia Eagles, and I'm fairly certain that that's exactly what they would do. Okay? What what is God doing? He's taking the guy who's the proven failure, and what is he doing? He's restoring him. Why? That's what God does. That's what his grace does. So verse 1 is powerful, and what God is, in a sense, I think, saying to Jonah, Jonah, I am redeploying you. Remember my persistent grace that pursued you in your rebellion. Asking Jonah to go to Nineveh to change his city was not wise, but it was God. Okay, God desiring to use you to change your world may not be wise, but it is the way of God. Folks, understand, read through the Gospels. Who is the apostle who is most prone to persistent predictable failure. Who is it? It's Peter. Who does God choose in the book of Acts to be the leader? The least likely person? Who has been overwhelmed by the persistent, relentless, pursuing grace of God? That's what God does. He allows Jonah to go through a series of difficulties and struggles so that he can see who God is. So that we can see that in his rebellion, great grace met a greater sinner. Jonah is a great sinner, but great grace is coming to him. Why would God do that? So that Jonah could go to the city of, of, of Nineveh with confidence as a sign, Jesus says in Luke chapter 11. 
And we know that, G- that Jonah is a sign of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. But Jonah is also a sign of a man who rebelled against God and was restored. He's a, he's a sign of grace. A man who descends to a place of near death and is rescued by a sovereign God through a great fish who restores and saves and preserves his life. Why? So, And we don't know exactly when Jonah arrives in Nineveh. We don't know what the city of Nineveh knows about the experience of Jonah. But we do know is this. Jonah is a rebel who has been restored. The whole city of Nineveh is a place of violence and wickedness. And what does God do? He sends a man whose very life is a sign. Jonah's experience, Jonah's circumstances scream grace. Relentless pursuit and use of someone that you and I would have shelved. That's what this story is about. And when we remember that God is relentless and persistent in his grace that rescues and strengthens us, we will gain some degree of confidence that, you know what? If God could use Jonah, maybe that very God could use me. Maybe he could use your life in a way that you think is utterly and completely unexpected. In your failure, remember that God is a God of second, third, and fourth chances. Your failures do not render God weak. Okay, your failure will cause God to go active. If you know him, he will come after you, he will pursue you, he will change you, and then he will use you. And you know why he does it? He does it to exalt his grace. What circumstances has God allowed to come into your life as grace to change you, to shape you? What struggles has he allowed to come in? James chapter 2 and verse, or James chapter 1 and verse 2 says, when you fall into various kinds of struggles, count it joy. Embrace those struggles and let them change you. Look at your failures. Realize God's restoring grace and say, God, remind me of your persistent grace because it strengthens us. That's why when we sing a song like All I Have is Christ. Think about the rebel path that you were on when God confronted you and rescued you by his grace. Think back to those times. Think back to that work of God. Let your struggles that God designs, let them change you and make you an effective servant. I think of someone like Joni Erickson Tata who took the struggle that altered the trajectory of her life, remembered God's grace, embraced her circumstance, used of God. May God remind us that His grace is able to to do abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. 2 Corinthians 12, this is what Paul comes to. My grace is sufficient for you. Folks, listen. If God could take a man like Jonah and use him, I have good news for you. He can use you. His grace can conquer your deepest sin and rebellion. But in order for that to happen, you have to take the next step. Verse 2, God says, Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim the message that I give to you. All right, go to that city and don't share your opinion. Share the message that I give to you. Now, The message that God gives to Jonah is small. It is apparently weak and inadequate. But in the hand of God, what does it do? It does what humanity could not do. It does what no army could do. It turns the city of Nineveh upside down for the glory of God. So what do I need to do? 
in response to the second verse, what does Jonah have to do? Jonah has to respond to the call of God. The calling of God that is the defining issue in his life. So verse 1 says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah again, a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh. What is the idea? The idea is this. Jonah, you are my prophet. You are my messenger. Go where I am sending you. And as Jonah responds to that, as he realizes that this call of God is not a suggestion from God, but it is the authority of God that is to define his purpose for life, just as it is for us with the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not God's suggestion to the church about how they may want to operate. It is the authoritative call of God. And when we yield to that call and say, God, I want to be available to be an agent of change in my sphere of influence, guess what's going to happen? Things that you can't explain, that you will never enjoy until you make a decision to say, you know what? I am tired of lethargy spiritually in my life. And I am going to wake up and submit myself to God's calling. That he, He's not altering his calling, folks. His plan for your life is not up for alteration and change. Why did God pursue Jonah in chapter 2? Why did he go after him? Well, you could say he went after him to punish him. I would argue that he went after him to change him. He went after him to alter the direction of his life. While Jonah was going towards the east, God was saying, Jonah, you're going to the west. Because God, in his pursuit, is not successfully ignored. God pursued him to change him, to shake him out of his self-centeredness, a man who wanted life on his own terms. God puts him back on the beach, probably on the shores of the land of Palestine, and God does not redefine his calling. God does not negotiate a new job description for Jonah. He doesn't comfort Jonah saying, that must have been really awfully difficult. None of that. You know what he says? He says, Jonah, get up and do the work that I've called you to do. And I think one of the greatest life-changing things in your life will be when you realize that the circumstances that God has allowed to come into your life are meant to change you and to draw you back to the calling that God has for your life. He wants to deploy every one of us for his call. Why? Well, I think here's what you'll find as you study Scripture. You will find That the God that you serve, if you know Christ personally, you will find that God is a sending God. Okay, throughout Scripture, what is God doing? God is deploying individuals. God is deploying nations to do what? To make a difference for his glory. Think of the story of Abraham. God chose Abraham, and Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 says, Abraham, I am choosing you so that you might be a light to the nations. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. Go into the book of Isaiah and read about the call of the nation of Israel. Why did God call the nation of Israel? Was his goal simply to bless them and make them special? Absolutely not. If you think that's what God was doing with Israel, you do not understand the history of the Old Testament. God saved Israel. God redeemed and restored Israel to deploy them to be a light to the nations. Now what happens? What happens is we tend to look at life from a different perspective. We don't approach it as God is sending us, calling us. We look at life from this perspective. We look at life and say, what opportunities has God put into my life 
so that I can maximize my opportunities and my joy in life. When we really should be saying this. We really should be saying, what opportunities has God put into my life to minister to others? To serve? We, in, in America, what? We have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What do we tend to think? We t- tend to think about us and ours. We tend to look at opportunities to see, how will this help my life? How will this advance my career? It's not to say that working on those things is wrong. But if my life is consumed with those lesser things, the greater things of God are never going to happen through my life. Until I realized that along with the working out of our career and the various things that we're doing in our life, God has an agenda that is over top of all those things. It's bigger than those things. He confronts Jonah to to change him, to break away those presuppositions about his own life and purposes and happinesses. He demonstrates to Jonah that he is a God who sends. And you know what's fascinating? When you come into the New Testament and begin to read the Gospel of Matthew, what do you find? Jesus chose 12, and what did he do? He sent them. After doing what? After changing them by his personal ministry, and then ultimately by the power of the Spirit. And at the end of Matthew 28, what do you find? You find Jesus, God in flesh, sending the disciples out into the world. Into what kind of world? A world very much like the world of Jonah. Rome wasn't a pleasant country. In regards to those that were perceived to be insurrectionists, they killed them. They persecuted them. But God is ascending God. And so Jesus calls 12 and he says this. He says, as the Father sent me, so I am what? I'm sending you. Why? That's the heart of God. And folks, until I yield to this, I'm not going to know the power of God in my life. I'm going to be like Jonah on a separate path. And God's saying, come over here and I will fill you with my power. Yield to God's calling in your life. Recognize before God how easy it is for us to get caught up in the temporal zone in our lives. Living for things that will not matter later. Folks, here's what I would challenge you to do. I would challenge you to ask yourself this very simple question. Is Am I living for something that is really worthwhile? Meaning that the overall dominating calling of my life. Is it something that will matter in eternity? On your deathbed. The the things that you are seeking. Will they satisfy in the end? Okay, folks, look. There's one thing that's going to last forever. You know what it is? People. People. And, and sometimes we, do, we have to shake ourselves like God shook Jonah. God put him in a place, a furnace of affliction, to purify him. So that when he comes out, verse 2, Jonah, go to the great city. Verse 3, and I love the response. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Okay, in chapter 1, what happens? The word of the Lord comes. Jonah go to Nineveh. Jonah says, I'm not going. Gets on a ship and he heads in the opposite direction. Now what has happened? God has put Jonah through a set of circumstances that have his attention. Let's, let's all admit this. If God put any of us in a fish, preserved us there for three days and three nights, and then spit us up on the shores of Palestine, we'd probably be looking up, not down. Right? I think we would say, you know what? I'm all ears. So you have to ask yourself this question. What circumstances is God bringing into your life? What opportunities is he bringing into your life to show you his calling? So that we begin to look at all of our life. As an opportunity to fulfill this larger mission that will matter at the end of our lives. It will matter when you retire. 
It'll matter when you're on your deathbed because you have touched people. That's the heart of God. Who are you stretching to reach and to serve like Jesus? Okay, that's the question I need to ask. How am I responding to the Great Commission, the call of God upon my life? That's what Jonah had to wrestle with. Third thought. Go to the great city of Nineveh, verse 2, and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, verse 4. On the first day, and this is just, what is it? This is a simple embracing of God's plan, of God's strategy. That's what's happening here. God said, go to Nineveh. What's Jonah say? Now, as a changed man, he's like, okay. Jonah, go there and proclaim the word that I give you. What does Jonah say? Okay. Here's what we don't know. We don't know how changed Jonah really is. We just know that God has his attention. And God has given him a simple strategy. Jonah, go to that city. Jonah says, okay, I'll go. God says, Jonah, proclaim the message that I give you. Jonah says, okay, I'll go proclaim the message that I give you. I'll embrace your strategy. Let the calling of God be the primary shaping influence of your life. Underneath of that umbrella, be fervent in your pursuit in every area. Pursue excellence, but don't ever pursue excellence in a specific area to the degree that we forget that we live under a larger umbrella calling of God. Okay, everything we do falls under a larger purpose. God is shaping us for the larger purpose. Enjoy the other things in your life. Pursue them. But don't let them eclipse the calling of God that brings greater joy and that is the defining principle of every Christian's life. What is the strategy that God gives to Jonah? And just put this in one sentence for you. It is a simple message from God that is delivered through a weak human vessel. Okay? I, I, can't, I can't imagine what Jonah is. Go, Jonah, go to Nineveh. He runs. God restores him. He comes back. Jonah, second time. Go to Nineveh, proclaim the message that I give you. And then he's like, okay, so what's the message? Folks, you know what it is? In English, it's eight words. Eight words. Get 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Okay. It's a simple message. And it's a simple strategy. I think what we tend to do is we tend to complicate our God-given calling. We complicate it. We add in all different kinds of factors. What is the message that God is giving? Two things. I think it's this. Judgment is coming. But I think yet 40 days is what? What is that? Think through the Old Testament. 40 days was the amount of time that it rained and the judgment of God came. Forty days. is the temptation of Jesus. Forty days is how long God allowed his people Israel to wander in the wilderness. Why? The judgment of God. Okay? Now, in giving this message to Nineveh, what is God doing? Yet forty days and Nineveh will be overthrown. What is he saying? You have 40 days to do what? What's the implication? Repent. 
Turn from your sin. Folks, the message that we have to take the world around us is this. Sin is serious with God. God has provided a Savior. Jonah is what? He's a symbol of God's grace. He is a man who deserved the judgment of God, experienced a had a near-death experience, is rescued by God and restored to service. Jonah is there as, what is he? He's proclaiming to them, there is grace for you if you turn as there was grace for him. That's why in Luke 11, it's what Jesus is saying. Jonah was a sign to the people of Nineveh. A simple message that is not easy to share. Can we all be honest real quickly this morning? The gospel is not complicated. I won't embarrass you this morning. But I want you to think in your own heart this morning. When is the last time you followed God's simple strategy? Go into all the world, all the time, every place, and preach the gospel. Okay, I could ask you to raise your hand and say, if you, raise, if you shared the gospel in the last six months, don't, please don't do this. Okay? Could you raise your hand? Could you say, Tim, in the last year, I have shared the God, the, what, a simple message, a simple strategy that changes the world. Folks, what happens? Let's be honest. We get embarrassed. We get afraid. We get nervous. We don't want to be rejected. God's call to Jonah is go to the fortress. Put your life on the line, Jonah. Sacrifice to proclaim a message of hope to them. Jonah doesn't want to do it, but he goes out of simple obedience. He doesn't want to deal with God's judgment, so he goes and preaches God's grace. How changed is he? I don't know, but you know what? God uses him. God uses him with a simple strategy and a weak vessel. I was reading a blog the other day, and in it, the writer was talking about preachers from the 18th century. One's name was Alexander McLaren and another was Charles Spurgeon. John Wesley, John Whitfield. Three of those men were phenomenal evangelists. Just experienced a great outpouring of God as they proclaimed the simple message of God through weak vessels. Alexander McLaren experienced less success in terms of seeing people come to Christ. And he was asked about that. He was asked about how he felt about that, living in, in, such, a, in such an arena of great heroes of the gospel. He was asked about how he felt about the results. And here's what he said. And, and this is just something that struck me. He said, look, they may preach the gospel better than I do. But they can't preach a better gospel than I do. Folks, let that sink in. You know what we do? We go to God and say, God, I'm not gifted. That becomes the excuse for disobedience, if I put it simply. Okay, God has called us. And we, you know what we do? We look at people that are more gifted and more capable and more effective. And that becomes the excuse for disobedience. Look, there may be people that are more effective. They may be more outgoing. They may be wired quite differently than you are. But please understand this. They are not capable of preaching a better gospel than you preach. They're not, they're not capable of sharing a greater hope than God has given you to share. So let the gospel of God, let the message of God, 40 days, judgment's coming. They repent. It is an unbelievable thing. Folks, every time you see someone come to faith in Christ, I hope that you are humbled and blown away. 
Because what you are experiencing is cooperation with God in this effort. A simple message through an inadequate vessel. That's what God throughout Scripture is doing. He's bringing these great reversals. He's using the unlikely person to do the impossible. That's what happens with Jonah. Nineveh should not be changed. And here's the question. Was Jonah right when he said Nineveh would be overthrown? Answer that question. Depends on what you mean by overthrowing Nineveh. Did God overthrow Nineveh? Did he change it? Flip it upside down? The answer is yes. He did it through Jonah. Who, I'm going to be honest with you, as I read through the rest of the book, I don't think his heart's fully in it. But God is using him. Because he is simply walking in obedience. Folks, what would God do through your life, through our church, through the church of Christ in this community, if we took seriously the call of God, were amazed by His grace, yielded to His plan, embraced His strategy, and that is, you know what? As I go, I'm going to trust God. Here's what Paul said in Romans 1.16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What is it? It is the simple message. Christ died for our sins. You're a sinner. He was buried. Because he died. And on the third day, God raised him to life again. And will change the life of everyone who believes that simple message. The life of everyone. We get reluctant. We get afraid. And I want to challenge you this morning. Don't be ashamed. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because it is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel that God has given us, the message that he gave to Jonah, was meant to change people. Folks, listen. Ask yourself the question. And this is how you feel. You read the story of Nineveh and you're thinking, how could Jonah not follow God? He had an audible. Folks, we have it written. We live after the cross. We know the means of grace. We know the way that people can be forgiven for their sin through the death of Christ. We remember this. May God help us. May God challenge us. May God send us out into the world. Not to use the world in our circumstances, in our jobs, in our families, in our houses. Not to use them for personal benefit. But to say, God, how can I serve through the means that you have put into my life so that I can be an agent of change? Folks, this is just such a phenomenal privilege. God sends you to serve the world you live in. And the last thought that just emerges is when Jonah goes and does what God tells him to do, what happens? Verse 5, the Ninevites believed God, which is probably, I'm going to tell you this, there's miracles all over this book, the storm, the fish. If you said to me, Tim, what is the greatest miracle in the book of Jonah? I think it's this. The Ninevites believed God. They heard the message of judgment, and they were broken by it. Folks, please understand, who would have thought that, look at verse 8, these are people that have a reputation, they are violent. They are of notoriety because of their wickedness. And the message of the gospel comes and bam! And an effect and a result that Jonah cannot take credit for. He can't leave saying, I was amazing. 
Right, you're like terrible. What'd you do? What'd you say? Wow. It's, it's ridiculous. But God used it. Sometimes the simplicity of the gospel, we're afraid to share it. Folks, when you share it, what are you doing? You are partnering with God, and when you partner with God, what's going to happen? Good things that will stun you and amaze you and will change your workplace into a mission field. That will change you from being a person that simply goes in to get the paycheck, who a person that goes in to serve. And as you see this new vision of your Nineveh, God is going to fill you with perspective and wisdom and knowledge on how you can transform your spheres of influence into mission fields where God can use you to bring this simple strategy, a simple message through a weak person. If this morning you're weak, praise God. He wants to use you. He doesn't need greatly capable people. He'll use them, but he doesn't need them. When we say, God, I'm not X, Y, or Z. Therefore, I can't. God is not all ears for that kind of excuse. You know why? He doesn't need your great gifts. You know what he needs? He needs your surrender. He needs you to go into work. He needs you to go into your school environment. He needs to be, you to be with your family and in your neighborhood with an eye. And folks, please understand how I say this. Just an eye towards the needs that, towards the needs that, that is there. I was with... Uh, Dave Ritter seen you the other day, stopped at a pizza place to get a cheesesteak. I just I'll share this with you because the cheesesteak was so good. No, that's not <laughs> There was a guy pulls up on a Harley and just he's a biker, so started talking to him. Okay, please under I did this didn't end up being a gospel conversation fully, but starting. Engaged him in a, in a, something that I enjoy doing. Started talking to him. Turns out he knows a guy that I did a funeral for 20 years ago. Remember me telling you about the ride with the pagan motorcycle gang? This guy's friends with three of those guys. Got talking. I just ended up giving my email address. I said, call me if you ever want to go for a ride sometime. Hopefully not with the people we rode with last time. but And, and all, this, all I'm saying is this. Please and don't think, oh, you just can do that. Just let God transform every sphere of influence into an opportunity. Don't look at life and the blessings that God has given you simply as opportunities for your joy and satisfaction. Let those places where God has made you capable, let that be an avenue for the gospel. Let the respect, the esteem that people have for you in a certain area, let it be an avenue for to ask God, God, where are you opening doors? God had to transform Jonah through a difficult circumstance so that he could see that the call of God wasn't going to change. He had to embrace a very simple strategy. And what he did, what happened? Nineveh repented. Great and small. When the king heard what was happening in his city, what does he do? He declares a fast. His heart has changed. What, because Jonah was so bold and brave and awesome? No, because Jonah went and did what God told him to do. Reluctantly, at very, very best, I would say. And yet God used him. Because the great sin of Jonah and the great sin of Nineveh was not an obstacle to the greater grace of God. Folks, there's no one in your sphere of influence that God can't change. There's no one sitting in this room this morning that is beyond the reach of amazing. You may be 
beyond the reach of religious grace, the grace you get because you work, but you are not beyond the reach of marvelous, amazing grace. And if you're a Christian this morning, you look at your life and you may say, Tim, my life is riddled with failures. Realize this. Everybody sins like Nineveh. We all need amazing grace. Every one of us in this room. Great sin is met with greater grace. If God could use Jonah to change his world, guess what he can do? He can use any willing Christian who is willing to stop saying their life is opportunities for personal benefit and willing to see their life as a mission field where they can serve God. Do you expect God to use you to do something great and glorious? Do you pray that he will do that? May God put in our hearts a fire, a desire, a change of perspective. And may may he do it through whatever he needs to use to change our perspective, to lift our eyes up out of us and ours to, hey, there is a vast world that God is drawing us into. And he has a simple strategy Take the good news of Christ and make a difference in your world. Let's bow our heads together this morning. Father, as we...